So a few weeks ago when we kicked off this series on prayer, I shared with you a story about how I was in a disagreement with one of my wife's best friends. Now, that's a unique place to be and not one that I wish upon you, but I uh, share with you that uh, Laura's friend, who's my friend as well, and, and her husband and their kids, uh, we, they play with our kids, just a great Christian family. They love Jesus, Jesus' followers, and they, they serve in the community, and they just share God's love with their actions, and we are glad to have them as friends. And uh, the wife, the mother, uh, has recently taken up baking uh, and just enjoys doing that. She didn't do that growing up, and she's kind of discovered that. And it's become kind of her thing. She likes to bake things and give things away, which we've been the recipient of great cookies and cakes and all kinds of things, and we love that she's taken up baking. And uh, she also spends time just with God alone. Like, that's some of her one-on-one time with God when she's just doing that for other people. And so it's a special thing for her. And uh, she wanted to upgrade her mixer that she bakes with, to use stuff to bake with. And uh, she's had, like, you know, a cheap one and wanted to get a new one, and uh, the one she wanted was like 300 bucks, which she could afford, but she wasn't sure she wanted to pay that, so she went on to social media, she went to Facebook, and just said to her friends, hey, I'm taking up baking, I want to get a new mixer, this is what I'm looking at, it might be a little pricey, what other ones, to those of you that bake, can you recommend, and so people would write back, hey, have you tried this one, let me show you this one, but one of her friends wrote back and said, hey, I just got married, and uh, we got two of those mixers as wedding gifts, and I'm just using one, I would love to give that to you. She's like, really? Like, yeah, that would be awesome. And so she got the mixer that she wanted, and she called Laura up. She's like, I really believe that God answered my prayers and sent that mixer to me, and it just it brings me lots of joy. Right? And we read the scriptures, that could absolutely be true. It says that, that God answers our prayers when we ask for things, uh, you know, asking it will be given to you. It says that God cares about the details of our lives, knows the number of hairs on our heads, and asks us to pray specifically for things. So, I mean, that is absolutely a theological, biblical thing that she could rely on. Well, when Laura was telling me the story, I mean, I, I heard that, but I was, I was in a bad mood, honestly. I was in a bad mood. I've been reading some stuff on the Internet, thinking about some things that just weren't right in the world or going on in our church and people that were hurting. And one of the things I was reading was just about human trafficking and how women and children uh, are bought and sold uh, for sexual slaves every day. That happens in Charlotte. It happens all around the world. And some of these, these children uh, are bought and sold uh, at a brothel for like 25, 30 times a day. Right, every day of their lives. That, that just happens day after day after day. And I'm guessing that those children, those women, have one prayer to God. Make it stop. Right? Make it stop. Make, make this stop. Rescue me. Get me out of this hell, Lord. Make it stop. Just one prayer. And I knew people in our congregation had been hurting and, and suffering. And their one prayer was, God, please heal my loved one. They're very sick. They might die. Lord, just forget about everything else. Just heal my loved one. I know of others in our church, in my life, uh, friends that I have, who they have one prayer to God. It's, God, I'm tired of being lonely. I'm tired of going through life by myself. Send someone to love me. Uh, and, and please, that's the only thing that I want, God. Please answer my prayer. I've got other people that I know, they, they have one prayer. God, I'm tired of living in fear. I'm tired of, of being scared all the time. God, please help me not to fear life anymore. And I could go on and on and on and on. And I just, you know, I heard that, you know, so God sent you a $300 mixer that, that you can afford and you asked for and one of your friends gave you. But, but God's not going to rescue a child who's being raped 30 times a day or, or heal someone in our church who's a, a great person or, or send someone into someone's life to love them or, or help someone stop feeling afraid. I'm just not sure that God gave her the mixer and doesn't do the other. Because what's going on in my heart is like, well, what if God did answer her prayer 
and gave her a $300 mixer, but won't answer the prayer of a child who's being abused 30 times a day. What kind of a God is that? And why am I following God? And why am I a pastor? Right? And so I wrestle with that. Right? And I wrestle with this unanswered prayer while God answers some prayers and God doesn't seem to answer other prayers. And if you wrestle with that, well, you're in the right place because we're talking about unanswered prayer today. I want, to, I want to jump right into the Bible. It usually helps us out a lot, and, and it will help us out today, but it also sometimes gives us a lot to think about. And so we're going to pick up the, the story of the early church. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's ascended into heaven, and he's charged his disciples to go and make disciples of all the world. Right? And we know he had you know, thousands of disciples, hundreds, thousands of disciples that started out in the early church eventually there. And, and, and he had like a top 12 group, right? His 12 disciples. And in that group, he had three select disciples, Peter, James, and John, that he would take and do special things with. And, and so we're going to read about James and Peter. Like these are two of the top three of Jesus' disciples. This is the book of Acts in the first century in the Mediterranean world in the land of Israel. And this is what's going on. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some of those who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. So some of the same people that that got Jesus killed are now going after his disciples who were still around and spreading the good news about Jesus. And he had James, the brother of John, one of the top three disciples, put to death with the sword. Right? This guy was killed, right? And I'm sure he prayed for this not to happen. I'm guessing other Christians were praying for this not to happen, but James died. Right? And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jewish people, he proceeded to seize Peter, right? one of the other top three disciples also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, Peter, he put him into prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Right? So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Right? So James is killed. Peter's arrested. He's going to be put on trial, likely to be killed as well. And the church prays for Peter. And I'm guessing Peter prays for himself. And long story short, God sends an angel to rescue Peter and get him out of prison. And this is what Peter replies after that happens in verse 11. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Peter's like, people prayed. God sent me an angel, now I'm out of prison, and I'm not going to die, right? And, and so we read that, and we're happy for Peter, right? We read that, and, and the people's prayers were answered. P- Peter's prayers were answered, but in the very same chapter, one of the other top three disciples is killed, and I'm sure people prayed for him from the church. I'm sure he prayed for himself, and so our question is still unanswered. Why does God answer one prayer and not another, right? Did God like Peter more than James? Probably not, right? Did, did, did Peter do more important things than James did? Maybe, maybe not. Right? These are two of the top three disciples, right? One of them in the same chapter dies and the other does not, right? One's prayers are apparently answered and others are not, right? And we read that and, and, and if we are having good things in our lives like Peter, then we're like, we're good with that, right? God's answering my prayers. But if you're like me, sometimes, oftentimes, I'm more on the James side of things, And the prayers don't come my way. They don't shake out the way that I want. And it's morally reprehensible to us that God will answer someone else's prayer in the very same situation and won't answer ours. So what are we supposed to think about God when God answers some prayers and doesn't answer other prayers in the way that we would like them to be answered? 
And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And if, if you're wrestling like that, if you feel like James sometimes, I'm with you on that. And let's see what we can figure out from the scriptures in thinking about this. What, what do we learn about unanswered prayer? Because God asks us to pray. We spend a whole series on prayer. So how do we wrestle with unanswered prayer? I want to talk about two things today. The first is, why do bad things happen to good people? And once we talk about that, then let's talk about prayer. Okay, if bad things do happen to good people, why, when we pray, doesn't God then intervene and help us out? Okay, and so let's start with why do bad things happen to good people? In theology, the study of, of God, right, there's a branch of that called theodicy, which basically means if God is good and can do anything, then why do bad things happen to good people, right? If God is all good, Right? And he wants good things to happen to us. He's all-powerful. He can intervene and, and do whatever he wants. Then why is there suffering? Why is there evil? Right? If, if God controls everything and he's good and he doesn't want us to be harmed, then why does evil exist in the world? That's right? a great question that people have been wrestling with forever. And some of the top reasons are these coming from Scripture as a Christian pastor. There's some things that, that kind of I see in Scripture. I think the first most important one we see all the way in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is, is that God gives us freedom. He gives us freedom to make decisions. Uh, they call it free will, freedom of choice. And freedom's a beautiful thing, right? We, God doesn't make us love Him. God doesn't make us behave. God creates us and says, you have the freedom to either follow me or not. You have the freedom to do good in the world or not, right? And so as humans, sometimes we get it right and we do good things and we live into the image of God that we've been created in and we help other people and we love God. And we love each other. We make the world a better place. We feed the hungry and, and we try to do good things and, and, and our freedom is used in positive ways. But sometimes we choose poorly. Sometimes we are mean. Sometimes we are wicked and evil, right? Sometimes we make bad decisions that hurt us, right? The things that we put in our bodies or the situations that we put ourselves out into the world. Sometimes we make decisions that hurt other people. We hurt their emotions. We hurt their, their ability to make money. We hurt their feelings. Sometimes we hurt them physically, right? And so, so freedom has a cost, Right? When we misuse freedom, we hurt ourselves, we hurt other people. Right? The devil was an angel in heaven who used his freedom to disobey and rebel from God, cast out of heaven, and now the devil runs around on earth and makes our lives miserable. Right? Evil is real. It, it, it's a force. It's out there. And so, so with misusing freedom, right, there are supernatural forces, there are human forces in the world. We make mistakes, we do wrong things, and it hurts People. It hurts ourselves. It hurts other people, right? And that's, that's why there's a lot of suffering in the world. Not only that, but we've corrupted God's creation, right? He created this beautiful world, the Garden of Eden. Right? We get into it with our brokenness, and, and we, begin to, we begin to break up creation, right? We put pollutants in the air, carcinogens in the air, right? We, we get diseases coming from things that we do to the planet, Right? We cut down trees in certain areas. It creates wind currents and hurricanes and stuff comes. Right, So, so we, we've messed up creation. And so bad stuff happens to us through nature sometimes. And then sometimes we just live in this world that, that's kind of broken and, and no one's at fault. Right, it's, Something bad happens to us. It's not God doing it. It's not us doing it. It's not someone else doing it. It just happens. We happen to park our car next to a tree uh, that falls in a windstorm and, and smashes us. And, and it just, it's, it's this broken world where things happen. Right? These are reasons that bad things happen to good people and to bad people in the world. Right? And also, I think, in a way, it comes down to leadership. 
And Kevin and uh, Lindsay were talking about the Super Bowl today. It's an exciting day in our nation. Is probably a third of the people are going to tune in to watch this, this football game. And we did have a Kansas City Chief fan in our first service, you know, just clad in full Patrick Mahomes, their quarterback jersey, just, you know, excited to be here today and share the colors like that. And when the Kansas City Chiefs, one of the two football teams in the San Francisco 49ers, when they run out, right, they're going to follow, the Chiefs are going to follow Patrick Mahomes. That's their quarterback. They're going to follow their coach, Andy Reid, and, uh, and they're going to follow them because these guys are smart, they work hard, they're intelligent, they have fun, right? They're good leaders and they're, they're people on their teams and their fans want to emulate them and be like them because they're inspirational. We want to be like our leaders, right? And, 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 and interestingly enough, that kind of backfires on those of us who follow Jesus in a way. We want to follow our Jesus. We want to follow the one Jesus. We want to follow a leader, right, who saved the world and does all these amazingly good things that we're going to talk about in, in this message. But we also sometimes forget that, that our leader, our Savior, also suffered and he died, right? He, he lived a life that, that he had hard times and he had good times. He had, he had bad times. He had hard times, right? In, in fact, he made his name by suffering and dying on a cross and then, of course, coming back to life. And so if we follow Jesus and we want to be like Jesus and we want to be Jesus followers, then we've got to know that our, our leader is a person who suffered and died and that we're also going to suffer and die. That's the part of the good news that a lot of us don't want to, we don't want to face, right? Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel 16, he says this himself, right? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me, right? Being a follower of Jesus is not easy. There are some great moments. There are some awesome moments, but also sometimes we're going to suffer because of our faith. We're going to stand up against the culture. We're going to be ridiculed. We're going to be mocked, right? People are going to look at us funny. In some places in the world, you could be killed for being a Christian. Even today, right, in the 21st century, that's the truth. So if we follow a God, a leader, whose suffering is a real part of his life, then we have to expect it's going to be a real part of our life. And some of our suffering is going to come because we're Christians, right? Not all of our suffering happens because we are Christians, but that's the reality. Right? So there, there is evil in the world. There's brokenness in the world. There is suffering in the world because we follow a God who suffered. We live in a world that's broken. There is freedom of choice, and sometimes we make bad choices, and that just doesn't end well for anybody. Right? So those are some of the top reasons that we believe that there is evil in the world, that bad things happen to good people. Now, other different religions and, and faith traditions, you know, they, they have ideas as well. You, you might have heard of the concept of karma. Right? A lot of people talk about karma in life. When something good happens to somebody, like, oh, you had some good karma, or something bad happens to somebody, oh, karma caught up with you, right? Karma's a witch, so we use another word for that, right? Or you've heard that in culture, right? And so what karma simply means is that good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people, right? If something good happened to you, that's because you did something good in your past, right? If something bad happens to you, then something uh, you did in your past was bad and, and it catches up to you, right? And, and so that's what the concept of karma is. As, as followers of Jesus, we don't believe in karma. We, we don't believe in karma, right? Now, now, sometimes we have good things happen to us because we've done something good. Sometimes we have something bad happen to us because we've done something bad. But this is why we don't believe in karma. Because sometimes good things happen to bad people. Right? They didn't do anything to deserve it. It just it, it, it happens. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Like, that's a terrible person. How, how, how are they living such a great life? Right? We see that. Life is not fair. Right? Life is not fair. And so sometimes bad things happen to good people. And so we, we don't believe in the concept of karma. I'll give you an example. Right? This week in California, that helicopter that crashed, that, that killed Kobe Bryant, this basketball superstar at age 41 and his 13-year-old daughter. Right? Her whole life is ahead of her. Right? And seven other people that most of the world seems to forget about were on that helicopter as well. Right? They, they all die. 
Right? And, and you can't tell me that that 13-year-old girl, any of those people on that helicopter deserve to die. They might have made mistakes in their lives, but, but at those early young ages, right, there's, there's plenty of life to be lived. And so right, that, that's not good things happening to good people, bad things happening to bad people. That is a bad thing happening to good people. Right? You, 13-year-old girl, her whole life is ahead of her. Right? It, 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 it's just not fair. Right? Life's not fair sometimes. And, and we, have to, we have to admit that. Right? Life is not fair. There's a lot of discussion about Kobe Bryant and all this stuff that's going on. A lot of our country's upset. A lot of people are upset who don't even like basketball. Right? And I'm trying to get an understanding of why that is. And I think on one level, it's a, a, a young father and his young daughter died way before they were supposed to. And that hurts all of us. It, it, that, that, that hurts all of us. It, they, all these people died before they were supposed to. Right? It's, it's, it's just not fair. I think another thing is, I think it taps into some fear in our lives that we might not be able to articulate, but this is how I articulate it in my own life, is that Kobe Bryant and his daughter, they're like American royalty. Ridiculously rich, ridiculously successful, very popular, very famous. They have everything in the world going for them. Everything that is the American dream, everything that you and I would want to strive for, they had it, right? And here's the thing. If Kobe Bryant's wealth, if his popularity, if his fame, if his success, none of that saved his life. None of it stopped him from dying at 41. None of it stopped his daughter from dying at 13, right? If someone like that can't be spared from a, from a terrible thing, a terrible tragedy happening to them, what chance do we have, right? We have no chance because life's not fair, right? And we're not promised tomorrow. And bad things do happen to good people, right? And so we have to wrestle with that. Now, we don't believe in karma as followers of Jesus, but we do believe that, that sometimes in our lives, good things do happen to us because we're good. Right? Sometimes bad things do happen to us because we're bad. We see that all throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament. A lot of stuff in the Old Testament says if you, if you do good, God will reward you. If you do wrong, God will punish you, uh, discipline you, that kind of thing. And we believe that we will be held accountable for our actions. Right? Both in this earth and also when we die, when we meet Jesus, when we're going to be judged one day, we're going to, we're going to be held accountable for the way that we live our lives. Right? So sometimes good things do happen to good people. Sometimes bad things do happen to bad people. But then in the Old Testament, there's a book called Job, and it turns that, that theology absolutely upside down. Right? Job was a man who was righteous, and he loved God, and he walked with God. And he was wealthy, and he had a big family, and he had great business, and things were going great for Job. And then one day, immediately, just overnight, all of his family are wiped out with the exception of his wife. Uh, all of his stuff is taken away from him. He becomes poor. He, he becomes sick with an illness of his body, right? And his wife just sits around and, and pokes fun at him and nags him. Right? And so, like, his whole life is turned upside down. He did absolutely nothing wrong. And that book in the Old Testament, it, it rocks the Old Testament because it says that sometimes bad things happen to good people. Bad things can happen to good people. Sometimes life is not fair and we wrestle with that. So then the question becomes, okay, well, life's not fair. Bad things happen to good people. But, but we read about in the Bible how God intervenes in people's lives. Right? God does miracles. God steps in. God saves people. God heals people. Right? He hooked up Peter. Right? And so we pray, and we ask for God to help us. We ask for God to intervene in our lives. And when God does, we're excited. But when God doesn't answer the prayers that we want to, we still wrestle with, why not, God? We're asking you to help us. It says in the Bible to help us. Why aren't you apparently helping us? Still, we wrestle with prayer. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
One of the most famous books written about this is, is called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. We've got a picture of it here. Uh, this was written by a, a Jewish rabbi named Harold Kushner back in the day. Uh, and, and this is what he thinks about theodicy. If God is all good and can do anything, why do bad things happen to good people? Kushner says you can't have both. God can't be all-powerful and be all-good at the same time. Otherwise, there'd be no suffering in the world. Right? It'd be like, like God's this heavenly parent. If he sees bad things happening to his children and he can do something about it, then God would do something about it. Like my two boys, Luke and Nathan, if they were being abused by someone and I knew that it was going on and I had the power to stop it, what would I do? I would darn stop that stuff, right? I would step in and I would stop it because I want good things for my boys. I have the power to stop it. I would stop it, right? So what Kushner says is his belief is that God is all good. He wants good things to happen to all of us. But Kushner says God's not all powerful. The reason that bad, things don't, that, that bad things happen in the world is because God can't step in and stop everything. He doesn't have all the power because he's so good, he would step in if he could. Right? Now, Kushner can say this. Uh, he's Jewish, and he doesn't see Jesus as the Messiah. Right? I don't know if you recognize that Jesus came back from life. Right? But, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we can't, we can't say it's one or the other. Right? We believe God raised Jesus from the dead. That God intervened in the world with Jesus. And so God is all good and God is all powerful. So we still have to wrestle with, okay, if he can do anything and he's good and he wants goodness in our lives, why won't he intervene when bad things happen to us? And so we wrestle with, okay, so why, God, when we pray, don't you step in? Why don't you do things? Because you say in the Bible to pray. Right? Today, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, it will be yours. Right? Jesus, are you lying in Mark's Gospel? You just said, ask for something, you believe it's going to happen, and, and it'll happen to you. Right? Is God a cosmic vending machine where if we put the right prayers in, like the right amount of change, and we push the button, I want Coke or I want Fanta, right? I want this house, I want this relationship, I want this job. Right? Mark, Jesus says it, right? Ask God for what you want and you're going to get it. Well, our experience is we ask God for stuff we want and we don't get it. So what's going on with Mark's gospel? Now, the thing about scripture is we have to read the whole thing, not just one verse. Right? And so we have to use other verses around Scripture to help us understand what's going on here. In John, 1 John, uh, John tells us this. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Right? Here's the catch. It has to be according to God's will. And if we know that God hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have uh, what we ask of Him. Right? So John clarifies that. Yeah, you can ask God for anything, but the only way you're going to get something is if it's God's will. Right? So if God's will lines up with our will, then we should get that. But again, we look in the world and we say, God, please end human trafficking. Surely that's in your will. Why are people still being bought and sold as sexual slaves in the 21st century? God, surely it's your will that my loved one doesn't have to suffer, that you have the power to heal them. Right? You healed people in the Bible. Why do you choose not to heal them? Surely, God, you don't want me to be lonely and sad in my life. You don't want me to live a life of fear. Isn't it your will to, to give me power over this fear? Why do I still feel afraid? Right? And, and so we wrestle with prayer. Sometimes we even wrestle with talking about prayer. This past week, our seventh grade uh, neighbor in our cul-de-sac that plays with my boys, Luke and Nathan, right, he had to have emergency brain surgery. 
And it worked out well. And he came through like a champ. And we're, we're grateful for that. And we prayed for that. We prayed a lot for that. His, his family's not religious. They don't go to church. I'm not sure that they even believe in God. And so when we were talking to them, saying, you know, how can we help you? You know, can we take your other son while you're at the hospital? And, you know, that kind of stuff. And, you know, usually in these situations, I would always say, you know, well, I'm praying for you. Know that God's with you. But they're not believers. And so I hesitated. I almost didn't say that I'm praying for you because I was a little bit afraid, right? What if God didn't answer my prayers? And what if their son died having brain surgery, right? What would the parents come back and say to me? It's like, okay, so you said you're praying for my son, right? He, he didn't make it or something went wrong. It's like, you need another profession, man. You stink at praying, right? Like, what, what kind of a, a prayer are you, man? You should really consider something else in life, right? Or... Or worse than that, it's like, man, what kind of God do you worship? This is a seventh grade kid. He's just a child. His whole life's ahead of him. He's having an emergency break. So you prayed for your God. He didn't do anything. I don't want anything to do with that God. So I almost did not say to them that I'm praying for your son. Right? Because sometimes God doesn't seem to answer our prayers. Now, when I, when I say God doesn't answer prayers, let me be clear. Right? God always answers prayers. He either says yes, no, or not yet. Okay, so when I talk about unanswered prayers, I'm saying God doesn't answer the prayer in the way that we want God to answer our prayers. So why doesn't God always answer our prayers the way that we want when we really think it lines up with God's will? I want to walk through some of the scriptures and I want to wrestle with some possible reasons that God doesn't answer prayers in the way that we expect God to. The first is is free will. I already told you about that, right? There's a cost with being free, right? So if someone chooses to do us harm, Right? God's not necessarily going to override their free will and stop it. Because if God overrides people's free will all the time, we're not free anymore. We don't have any choices. Right? So freedom is a big part of this. Right? It's a great gift that we have. It's a great responsibility, but it comes at a great cost for all of us. Right? So we have this freedom. I think another thing is that God sees the big picture and we don't see the big picture. Right? God sees the mural. God sees the masterpiece. And we just see the little bitty pixels in our lives. It's like if we went up to the television today and we just stuck our head right on the TV. We're not going to see a football game. We're going to see a bunch of little green and blue and red dots, right? God has the big picture. He understands what's going on. And, and ultimately, God's God and we're not. And, and God knows what, how to answer prayers and God knows not how to answer prayers. And, and we got to give God some room to operate and some trust in all of that, right? Because God sees the big picture. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see a, a reflection in a mirror, right? We don't see clearly, right? Then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. When we finally meet God in the full kingdom of heaven, we're going to understand everything and why things happen and all that kind of stuff. We just have a small piece of the picture now. In the comedy movie, Bruce Almighty, Jim Carrey's been given the power of God to do anything that he wants. And, and so he has to field all the prayers that God has to field every day. And he gets billions of prayers, and they appear in like yellow sticky notes. It's hilarious. And, and Jim Carrey gets so tired of answering each of the billions of prayers every day that he decides one day to say yes to every prayer. Right? He says, yes, you get whatever you want. And it's a disaster. And terrible things happen in the world because we all don't know really what to pray for really sometimes in our lives. But we pray for competing things. And so the way the movie does it is really funny, but it also shows that if we all got what we asked for, we'd be in some big trouble. Right? In my own life, I can look back and see some things that I prayed for. God said no or not yet, and I'm glad God said no or not yet. You know, I think about some of the women that I dated, and I used to pray, Lord, please let her be the one. Let us get married and have kids and live happily forever after. And if God had answered that prayer, I never would have met Laura. I never would have had Luke. I never would have had Nathan. Right? And so I'm so glad God didn't answer those prayers. And by the way, so are all those women. They're like, thank you, God. 
thank you, God, for sending Laura into college. She's the only woman who can put up with him. You're like, come on. Like, right. So sometimes, right, God answers our prayers because God's smarter than we are. And we, we got to trust God in that. Right. There, there's there's this thing they teach us in seminary studying to be a pastor. It's like there's the yet and the not yet. Right. Jesus, when he came in the world, he brought the kingdom of heaven with him in part. And when he comes back, he's going to bring the full kingdom of heaven with him. So we're living in the kingdom of heaven in part. Yet, yet, yet it's here. But there's the not yet, right? There's going to be heaven one day, and we're going to understand everything. And, and we're not going to cry anymore. There's not going to be pain anymore, all that kind of stuff. Not even struggle anymore, and it's going to be, you know, paradise or whatever. And, and that's something that we look forward to. But there's a cynical side of me that says there are going to be some people that get into heaven, and they're going to say, Jesus, this is cool, but I'm still upset with you. Why, why did you let me be tortured 30 times a day, right, uh, every day? for my whole life, right? There are going to be people that get to heaven that are really mad because earth matters, right? The yet matters. And so we, we still wrestle with that. I was talking to somebody in the lobby this morning. Our family just picked up the Disney Plus subscription with Hulu and, and ESPN Plus. And I've been watching some old reruns of the of television show Lost on Hulu. And there's some good stuff in that show. There's some bad stuff in that show. But I found this clip that really spoke to me. And it, 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 it's another reason I think that God answers prayers differently. Check this out. Sometimes adversity is good for us. Right? You think about a child that, that's learning to walk, and when they, they fall down and, and they get hurt, they don't want to get back up. What do we do? We, we want to encourage them to stand up and, and try it again and fall down and, and get back up. Right? That's a life lesson that we learn for the rest of our lives because if, if we pick them up and carry them everywhere for the rest of their lives, they'd never get to walk. They'd never get to run. Right? They weigh 150 pounds. We couldn't carry them around all day. What happens when we, when we die? Who's going to carry our child around? Right? Sometimes adversity is just reality. Right? We have to build character. We, we have to get through things. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. We have to suffer sometimes to persevere so that we can gain character and character can give us hope that we went through a hard time now. When we go through hard times in the future, we can be hopeful because we made it through that hard time and we grew as a person and we grew in our character. So sometimes, not all times, but sometimes the adversity, the struggle is a part of it. And we can look back and think, wow, look how much I've grown. Look how much I've learned in my life. And then Paul really trumps himself. He takes it up a step further in chapter 8 of Romans. And he says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What I read in this is that even in, in terrible circumstances, the worst circumstances that God doesn't cause to happen to us, but that we cause or someone else causes or they just happen, in all circumstances God works to bring good into our lives. Right? I think about people who've lost their jobs and say, that, that was one of the worst moments in my life. I love my job. I didn't know how I was going to provide for my family. It was like one of the worst days of my life, but I look back now on it, and it was one of the best days of my life because I wouldn't be doing now what I'm doing, which I love even more if I hadn't lost my job. Right? Like those, those women that I broke up with or that broke my heart, I, I would never met Laura. I never met, you know, had Luke and, and Nathan. I've met people who've been diagnosed with horrible illnesses, and they said at the time it was the worst news I could ever hear. But, but now looking back on it, it's one of the best things that ever happened to me because it helped me reexamine the way that I'm living my life. Now, of course, I've met people who've lost their jobs and been diagnosed, and they still hate it. And that's absolutely okay and understandable. But sometimes, right, God will come into our lives in the most terrible situation and work to bring good into our lives. And then finally today, uh, I would say maybe a reason God doesn't answer our prayers the way that we expect 
this doesn't come from Scripture, but I think it is scripturally based. It's, it's, it's by a, a, a modern Christian songwriter named Matthew West, and he writes these words in a song called Do Something. He says, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? Why are there people who are starving? Why are there people who are being abused? Right, God, why don't you do something? And he said, I did do something. I created you. Now that's powerful, folks. Maybe the way that God intervenes in answering prayers is he's created us to do something about the bad things that are happening in the world. Right? Maybe God's saying, yeah, I have answered your prayer. You have life and breath in your body. You as a church exist in the South Park community. You do something about it. What I'm doing to intervene is I created you. I put you here. Now go to work. Right? Do the work of me in the world, God says to us. I can't wait to watch some of those Super Bowl commercials today. They're going to be funny, uh, and they're going to be lighthearted. They're going to be some I'm a little risque. I might have to cover my son's eyes. You know how that works. But, you know, it amazes me that some companies will pay $500,000 for a 30-second ad. Right? Now, of course, it's an investment. They're going to make more money than that because people are going to see their products and buy them. Right? $500,000 for 30 seconds. What? what if we did one less Super Bowl commercial this year and gave $500,000 away? Right? How many uh, trafficking victims could the police rescue with $500,000? How many children who were starving could we feed with $500,000? How many teachers could teach children to grow up and be productive members of society with $500,000? Do you see that? I I read that in 2017, Americans spent $100 billion on sports. $100 $100 billion in sports, right? And I've, a lot of my money's in that, not $100 billion worth, but right, $100 billion worth of, of, of sports, $56 billion in just going to games alone. The rest of it was like playing sports, buying sports equipment, that sort of thing, right? $100 billion, right? What if this year we just spent $99 billion on sports and we took a billion dollars uh, and we rescued trafficking victims? We fed hungry people. We gave teachers and police officers money that they need to, to help other people. Right? What if we went to one less game and gave them money uh, or our time to help people in our community? God says, I did do something. I created you. Now go out and do something about it. Right? Our country, right? we're becoming so obese. Right? It's becoming a huge problem. We're literally eating ourselves to death. We're throwing away food while billions of children are starving every day. Right? God says, I did something. I created you. Now you go and be the answer to someone's prayer. Now that's powerful because it's a lot easier to blame God. God, why won't you do anything than to look in the mirror and say, why won't I do anything to change what's happened? So at the end of the day, this is kind of where I come down on this whole thing about unanswered prayer. I think we go back to simply to go back to Acts 12. Sometimes God answers the prayers the way that we want to. And like Peter, we're saved. And sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers in the ways that we offer them. And sometimes we're like James and, and, the, and the world falls apart. Right. And, and we have to ask ourselves the question, do we have faith enough to trust God in the midst of that tension? That sometimes the prayers are going to be answered in the ways that we think they should. And sometimes they're not going to be answered in the ways that we think we should. Right. That's the reality. Right? That's life. Do we have enough trust and faith in God to still follow God and as followers? Right? Remember the infamous mixer? I've got a picture of that mixer just for you if you want to see that. Uh, my wife's friend has since upgraded mixers. Right? And, and you know what she decided to do? She decided to give us that mixer. And uh, she gave it to Laura. and She said, put it in the kitchen because I want Kyle to look at that mixer every day and know that he got to answer my prayers in this mixer. Right? And that's her way of telling me I'm number one in her book, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and maybe you feel like her. Like, 
Pastor Kyle, that's all you got. Sometimes God answers our prayers the way that he wants to, and sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers. That's, that's what it comes down to in Scripture. But this is, this is where it is for me personally. Right? I, I wrestle with this. I, I have the same doubts that you have. I have the same questions that you have. I get angry with God in, in the ways that you get angry with God. Right? And, and, and yet, I still pray. I still pray to God for big things. I still pray to God for small things. I pray to God for you know, stuff that happened to my kids at school, right? good things. I, mean, I, I still pray, even though I know sometimes it's going to happen the way I want it to and sometimes it's not, I still trust God. I still told our neighbors, I'm praying for your son. And I knew that he might not make it. He might have a complication. I still said, I pray for you, right? The reason that even with my doubts and my skepticism and my anger and my concern and my pain from unanswered prayer is this. I do all of that because God intervened in our lives in Jesus. Right? God sent his son into the world to die for us and to come back to life. Right? God saw humanity. He said, I created you in my image and you were good and you do good things, but sometimes you really blow it. Right? You hurt yourselves, you hurt each other, you, you break relationships, you bring guilt in your life, you bring shame in your life, you're going to die one day, and you know what hell is. It's broken relationships, it's living apart from me. And God says, that's not good enough. That's not why I created you. And so if you can't help yourselves, I'm going to help you. And he sent his son into the world. Jesus left heaven, he came to the earth. God left heaven himself, came into the earth. He died on the cross, and he came back to life, right? And he did away with our guilt and our shame and our death and our hell, right? And he gives us great things. John 10, 10 says this. Jesus says, I came that you may have life and have it to the full, right? On this earth, you can live a full life. Even when you have problems, you can still live life to the full. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him, right? God came to give us life to the full now and God came to give us life forever in the kingdom of heaven, right? God is worthy of our trust. We don't always get our way, but God is worthy of our trust because he intervened in Jesus, right? And I talked about how we follow a leader who suffered and died, but we also follow a leader who gives us victory. He came back to life and he defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated guilt and shame. He defeated hell, right? He gives us life to the full. He gives us life forever. And he stands with us through the difficult times, right? This is the God worth trusting. I'm so glad that I fall under grace, right? That, that I receive things from God that I don't deserve, right? Because here's the thing. A lot of times we think of ourselves as good people that have bad things that happen to us. Well, sometimes I'm a bad person and good things happen to me because God gives us Jesus. God gives us grace. I get more good things than I deserve. I receive more good things than I deserve because sometimes I'm a bad person, Right? And God says, I love you anyway, and I'm going to give you things that you don't deserve, starting with Jesus. And I'm guessing if you're like me, sometimes you feel like a bad person, and you feel you deserve bad things happening in your life, and God says, I want to give you something more. I want to give you more than you deserve. And just look at the cross, because that's my reminder to you. I love you. I give you more than you deserve. So What? So what does this mean? What do we walk away with? This is what I think. I think we can trust God even when things don't go our way. We can trust God even when things don't go our way because God intervenes through Jesus. 
God intervened through Jesus 2,000 years ago. God still intervenes in our lives right here and right now. We can trust God even when things don't go our way. We can pray to God even when things don't go our way because God intervenes in our lives in Jesus 2,000 years ago and right here and right now in the 21st century. So I want to give you something to think and pray about this week, some actions that you can do to respond to this message. And I just ask you to pick one of these. Right? Maybe the message for you, the application for you today is to go home and to take your pain of unanswered prayer to God. Say, God, I'm still in the mad phase. I'm still in the angry phase. I'm still in the questioning phase, God. Well, the things that I'm asking of you, surely they must be in your will. And you're not doing it, God. I don't understand that. And so I just need to be real with you, God. Here's where I am. I hope you've heard that throughout this series. You can be honest with God. You can take your pain to God and you can lay it out to God and God's big enough to handle that. Or maybe your takeaway today is is go home and thank God for some unanswered prayer in your life. Thank you, God, that I didn't get the job. Thank you that I didn't get into that school. Thank you that I lost my job. Thank you that I didn't end up with that person in a relationship, right? Thank you, God, for knowing better than me and I really appreciate it on the backside, right? Maybe that's your message today. Or maybe your message is to give God thanks for intervening in Jesus. Say, God, I know things don't go my way all the time, but I do believe in you, and you're my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for intervening through Christ. Help me intervene in other people's lives in the same way. Or maybe, maybe just maybe, the message for you is to let God intervene in your life right now and right here. That you're tired of being mad at God. That you're tired of being scared. That you're tired of going it alone that you're tired of carrying around a lot of guilt in your life. You're tired of being ashamed of things that you've done. You're angry. You're tired. You're you're ready for life to the full. You're ready for your life to turn around. You're ready to, to understand what it means to begin walking with God in eternity. And so maybe the message for you today is invite God to intervene in your life right now because Jesus is ready. It wasn't just 2,000 years ago. Jesus is ready right here and right now to come and live in you and give you a life to the full. Because today we celebrate the gift of Holy Communion. The last time that Jesus was with his disciples, his 12 disciples, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is going to be broken on the cross. Whenever you do this, remember me. Then he took a cup of wine and he gave it to him and said, Take and drink. This is my blood that's going to be poured out on the cross so that you can be forgiven. Whenever you do this, remember me. I have come to intervene in your life. Let's pray about that together. Gracious and ever-loving God, we thank you. We thank you that you are patient with us. And we do get mad. We do get upset. We get angry, Lord. we're, We're confused. And we want to know why you don't always answer our prayers like you answer other people's prayers or the ways that we think you should answer them. So, God, thanks for being big enough to handle that pain. But thanks also, God, for intervening in our lives. You send us in the world to help each other. You send Jesus into the world to save us, God. And so today, we want to thank you for that. God, if we're far from you, we're sorry. And we ask you to forgive the wrong things that we do. God, come and take away our guilt and shame. Give us life to the full. Give us life eternal. God, give us the victory that Jesus offers us. Lord, show us that we're not alone, that you are with us when we face adversity in our lives. God, we're prepared to receive this communion. May this this bread that we have and this grape juice that we have, may it be symbolically your body broken for us and your blood shed for us. God, thank you that we can trust you even when things don't go our way because you have intervened in Jesus. Help us, God, when we feel more like James than we feel like Peter. Thank you, God, when you help us out like you helped out Peter. In 
Christ's holy and blessed name we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite you to get out the communion packet that you were handed when you came in today. You don't have to be a member of our church. You don't have to be a a baptized Christian. This is God's gift to all of us. And what it says is, God, yes, I want you to intervene in my life right now. And so if you're ready for God to intervene in your life, I invite you to take the bread that symbolizes Christ's body broken for us and to eat that right now, the body of Jesus broken for us. And now to drink this grape juice, knowing that it symbolizes Christ's blood shed for us. We can trust God, even when we don't have things go our way. Because Christ has intervened in Jesus. We can trust God whether we feel like Peter or we feel like James because Christ has intervened in our lives. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.